0: What is going on, brothers and sisters? For this episode of The Rocky Cast, I'm going to cover my most recent movie that I saw, Oppenheimer, which everyone is raving about it. I'm going to give you my review, kind of what I thought. I'm going to offer Christopher Nolan some advice as to how he could have made the movie even better. And I'm going to explore some topics that are present in this particular movie, things that I think... He basically missed out on and some other topics that kind of arise from the movie Oppenheimer because it is incredibly relevant as we engage in the current hot conflict with Russia, another nuclear armed uh, power for the first time uh, in the history of the world. I think I don't think there's ever been any conventional engagement between two nuclear armed powers. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Now we're not in direct hostilities with Russia, but we are engaged in aiding a country that is involved in a year and a half long conventional conflict. So this topic of nuclear arms, the origin of nuclear arms, the devastation that it caused, the issues associated with this are incredibly relevant and they're encapsulated in the story of Oppenheimer as a movie. We'll give you a little bit of overview for those of you who haven't seen. First of all, sort of cut to the chase should you watch this movie? Hell yeah, it's really good. I do think they made a mistake with the script, and some of you may disagree with that. I'd love to hear what your feedback is on that. Rockneycast at gmail.com, or you can email me at rockneypole at gmail.com. Uh, for your feedback on you know, my critique in terms of whether you think it could be better or not. But you should definitely see this movie. Definitely give it a big th- thumbs up. I think they missed, there were some yards left on the field. There was some money to still be made. And I think it could have been, it's not on my top 10 of all time list. It's probably going to win Best Actor, Killian Murphy, or Best Movie through the Oscars. So I'm probably going to be proven wrong in terms of critique, but... I do think there were some problems with it. So, and I, I'm not going to review Barbie. I did not see that. My daughter saw it and said, eh, it's, I mean, it's good, but you know, so I did not watch Barbie. You're just going to have to go to some other podcast for the review of Barbie. So I love this particular movie. Um, because it it really deals with really deep topics of humanity and a man struggling with what kind of uh, the consequences of his knowledge brought in terms of this death and destruction and some of the moral issues that Robert Ibenheimer struggled with as he made the bomb, as he saw it explode, just in the days and months preceding it. And in terms of the aftermath of after it exploded, the impact it had on the rest of his life and like most tales it really was a greek tragedy i do feel sorry for robert oppenheimer he had all of this glory until the the day he died he struggled with the consequences of what he had built so there's so many issues to explore so in terms of what the movie itself struggled with and and portrayed there's of course the story of robert oppenheimer himself how he came to be in charge of the um, Manhattan Project, which was the building of the atomic bomb in World War II, the explosion itself, which is awesome. So do not wait until you watch this on your own TV. This is almost worth the price of admission just to see the minutes leading up to the explosion itself. It is phenomenal, and it is reason to go see it in the big screen or even in IMAX. The whole film is shot in IMAX um, film. There are some of the, the the fears that the scientists have. We'll cover that. They thought it was going to burn up the atmosphere. And then there's some, I think what I think was the mistake was kind of a description of after he um, built the bomb and after World War II closed, Some of Robert Oppenheimer's old communist ties in the 30s were brought up. Of course, he became a big advocate against the further development of even stronger weapons, which was the um, hydrogen bomb, which was developed by Edward Teller, in which you actually use a nuclear bomb to explode the even bigger hydrogen bomb and make essentially fusion level energy. So the second part, it, it's really difficult to call it the second part of the movie. The what, what kind of the thread throughout the movie is how Robert Oppenheimer lost his security clearance after World War II so that he really couldn't work on any high-tech weapon systems after the war. So it was kind of this administrative proceeding that took place in an office and they tried to make it really dramatic and then they wove the rest of his life story into why they thought that he was a security risk such that a security classification should be revoked. And he would essentially be just like you and me. He couldn't work on any of the high tech fun weapons systems because he no longer had that access. So that gets me to, I wanna give you a little bit of an overview of who Robert Oppenheimer was and why it's so freaking cool. Um and the big mistake that I think that Christopher Nolan made. So let's talk about who he was. I have a lot of complaints about how I was educated, but for whatever reason, the story of the atom, x-rays, the chain reactions, people like Niels Bohr, Werner von Heisenberg, Robert Oppenheimer, Albert Einstein, These these names are all taught quite well, at least they were in my scientific education in high school and through college. So Robert Oppenheimer was a world class physicist prior to World War II. His specialty was um, particle physics, and he in particular specialized in quantum physics. Which was kind of the next stage of theoretical physics after Albert Einstein developed the theory of relativity in 1905. He became a professor. He studied at the University of California, Berkeley. He studied with some of the greatest particle physicists in the world, including Werner von Heisenberg in uh, Germany during the 20s and 30s. So it was his through his work as a professor at the University of California, Berkeley. They kind of put him on the radar of the um, military establishment in terms of who should actually put the atomic bomb together. So it covers this part of, the movie covers quite well, this part of the Robert Oppenheimer story. But I think here gets to some of, I think, my critique, and I think some giant misses by the movie that I think they could have developed more well. um, I know why they probably didn't do it, but I do think they could have put this in here. I think it would have made it an even better movie. So Christopher, if you're listening, which you're not, but for those of you who are, are, the big mistake I think that they made was focusing on this administrative proceeding as probably 40 to 50% of the movie is, is there effort to make this administrative revocation of Oppenheimer's security classification, basically the whole movie, the whole thrust of the movie, and then through that security classification hearing, it was held at an office, I believe, in Washington, D.C., they told the story of Robert Oppenheimer, why they suspected him, what their concerns were, of course, the period itself, which was essentially the height of the McCarthy hysteria, and I think that they thought that it was kind of the best way to weave in how unlikely it was that this kind of eccentric theoretical physicist at the University of California, Berkeley, was chosen to lead this great program. Well, why was that a mistake? On the one level, they're probably going to win best screenplay at best picture, and I'm saying they made a giant mistake, But but I stand by this because... Yes, they did make it interesting. They had Robert Downey Jr. as kind of the bad guy who kind of caused this proceeding to happen in the first place. It had a lot of uh, minutiae in terms of the nature of the administrative hearing. It was like any typical committee and a bureaucracy. It was kind of stacked from the beginning. It allowed them to talk about the, the Red Scare hysteria in the early 1950s. Which was a people all over the country were losing their jobs, including the freaking guy who helped win World War II. It talked about some of the sort of the darker undercurrents of American society. And here it was this guy who had literally saved millions of lives by building a bomb. And of course, there's the the moral moral issue in terms of the, the use of the bomb against the civilians, but there's no doubt hundreds of thousands of American and Japanese lives were saved. That's a counter hypothetical, but that, I think most experts would agree that's true, even those that were against the um, the dropping of the bomb. But so there were reasons to do that. It allowed them to weave in through this administrative proceeding, the story of Robert Oppenheimer. And of course, the other interesting kind of footnote to that was is that Berkeley in the, in the 30s, was kind of just like it is now. It was filled by all these wannabe radicals, And so they were communists and they'd read Das Kapital and Karl Marx and Leon Trotsky. And they were all at dinner parties. And so they're kind of classic dinner party communists. But it kind of allowed them to, to explore that milieu of Berkeley in the 30s. And kind of the punchline that you get with that, especially at the time. Remember, prior to the 1940s, there was really no Cold War to speak of. Yes, there were some concerns about what was going on in the Soviet Union, but those concerns were not so strong that we didn't ally with Joseph Stalin for five to six years. Send them guns, send them everything. So there, there, they were allies. It wasn't bad enough that, that we wouldn't ally with the Soviet Union. And so in the 30s, there really were concerns, but it was more not as big a concerns. And at the time. People were really hoping that communism was going to be kind of the path of civil rights for a lot of people of color. So it was more kind of I think civil rights in the '60s was kind of commie agitation in the '30s, workers' rights, labor unions. Yes, there was some concerns on national leaders about what they were saying, but it was kind of more feared as as that type of agitation, civil rights marchers, not the actual Stalinist communists. I and mean, so it gets into like how they transposed the Communist Party membership of his brother, that's Oppenheimer's brother, and his spouse against the backdrop of the 50s where people were terrified that Russia was going to take over the United States through force of arms or significantly expand their territory. So they did do that very effectively. I mean, Christopher Nolan is an incredibly skilled filmmaker. And I mean, Christopher Nolan could go to a grocery store and film and make it interesting. I mean, he's that talented a director. He could go to a campground in Appalachia if you ever got into comedy. Comedy, make it hilarious. He's just a brilliant filmmaker and his use of of words and dialogue is fantastic. And of course, too, he's one of the most talented screenwriters in the world. He wrote the screenplay and directed it. So, I mean, it had a lot of those elements. So what what was the cost of that though? So it didn't work and they're probably going to win best screenplay. But here's what I think. They made a giant mistake. There's one huge glaring omission that I think, I'm sure they have the reasons why as to why they kept this out, but I nevertheless think it is a fair critique. The movie does not discuss almost at all any of the technical engineering challenges that they had from the start of the war the start of the Manhattan Project through the end. They didn't talk about the mechanical difficulties of engineering uh, or or essentially withdrawing the uranium to make it into a physical material for a, a bomb. They didn't talk about how they determined that plutonium could be this alternative source of fuel that could also be used to make a bomb. They didn't talk about any of the mathematical challenges that were present when they were trying to develop the engineers and ter- the engineering problem, in terms of how the bomb was actually developed, there was a very complicated mathematics, very complicated engineering, very complicated theoretical physics, mathematics, calculus. It took the top metallurgists in the world, the top phys- physician physics physicists in the world, some of the top mathematicians in the world some of the top engineers in the world. And they had to bring them all together to Los Alamos, New Mexico to solve these exceedingly difficult technical challenges. And why was Oppenheimer picked? It wasn't that he was the best physicist in the world. It wasn't necessarily that he had the, um, the greatest ideas on how to build the bomb. It was essentially that they felt he had enough of skills in various areas to be able to talk to all these different fields because all these guys were geniuses. But it was essentially the breadth of his knowledge. He was fluent. He taught himself um, ancient Hindus. So we could read the Bhagavad Gita. He um, studied Greek. He spoke languages. He gave a lecture in Dutch. So just the breadth of his knowledge, they felt that his charisma would allow him to work with some of all these top scientists. They they get a little bit in terms of how this Leslie grows, this um, army general or lieutenant or whatever he was picked them. So there's a little bit of that interaction. But then once then he selects um, Robert Oppenheimer, they don't get a lot about how Oppenheimer put his team together, how these personalities were met were were meshed. And I think that was a giant mistake. And a lot of you are probably saying, yeah, but like Cole, is that really gonna be that in- that interesting? I mean, can you really make a story that people are gonna like about the engineering and the mathematics and the physics? Is that really gonna be an engineering story that people are gonna like? My response to that is, is yeah, I think that there is. And my proof of that is Andy Weir uh, the scientific or the essentially real science science fiction writer who wrote the Martian and Artemis about the colonization of the moon so i i that was highly successful and there he got into the math i'm not saying you have to get into the level of a you know physics lecturer but i think in terms of the development of the theory the application the other thing i think is really fascinating you know how a lot of times i criticize a lot of professors because they kind of have their head in the cloud, And they have a lot of critiques of everyone else, but they can't get shit done on their own. Well, that that kind of exactly was uh, Robert Oppenheimer. What I think makes it even more amazing, the fact that he was a horrible experimental physicist. He was horrible at doing any of the actual experimentations, so much so that he almost flunked out or was kicked out um, of, I think it was Oxford, because he just was a horrible experimental physicist. But he really reveled in theory, the theoretical application, the mathematics of it. Some of his ideas were almost good enough to win a Nobel Prize. He never did because he never was able to be have that one-off brilliant idea. So even that aspect of it, how was it that this kind of eccentric theoretical physicist was able to put this team together of the most practical men and women in the world. They were able to take all of these abstractions and actually build a bomb. Instead, the movie kind of presents it as, well, they were always gonna be able to build the bomb. It was only a matter of time and there was no challenges. And in fact, all the thing they got about in terms of the sequential development of the bomb was how much plutonium it would make to make the big boy. I think it's the fat boy bomb. And then the more conventional bomb, one they used U-235, the other one they used plutonium. And they essentially talked about the quantity and the number of marbles that they would have to put in there in order to be able to, to build enough of a bomb. And then once they had enough marble, they lit it up and it was kind of like building a giant firecracker. So did this kind of miss that? My guess is that if Christopher Nolan were talking to me right now He would probably say that, Cole. I get that. We just didn't think that that piece of it would be that interesting. And we thought that the story, the most compelling story, was the administrative hearing because we had all of these transcripts. And then that would allow us to kind of synthesize his entire life's work into this administrative revocation hearing that was actually surprisingly dramatic. So that's what they would respond to me. But I, think I really felt wanting in terms of just an explanation of these things. So, for example, they got a little bit into one of the great fears they had was, is that if they built the atomic bomb and exploded it, it would create a chain reaction and blow up the atmosphere that any of the hydrogen particles in the atmosphere would themselves be... Uh, triggered to create fusion. And once fusion starts on earth, it will essentially burn up the entire atmosphere and destroy the whole world. Now they reported that and they discussed that and that was discussed as hypothetical, but they didn't develop at all the guy who originally raised the concern. They said that they mathematically demonstrated that it wasn't likely and that it was near zero, but they didn't get into that at all. And they virtually addressed none of the technical challenges in terms of building a bomb. I mean, keep in mind that everyone knew you could split an atom in the 30s. And I believe several countries had done that. So it wasn't just a matter of splitting the atom or creating somewhat of a chain reaction. It was to create a significant enough chain reaction to actually make an atomic bomb. And then to be able to make the, the engineering decisions that were breakthroughs in the field to actually blow the damn thing up. And that just wasn't developed. So I think that there could be room for a sequel, and the sequel would be nearly the exact time frame, except it well, no, it would actually be a compressed time frame. It would be from the time the Manhattan Project started through the burning, blowing up of the bomb itself. To me, that and and then and then develop all the different theoretical principles that came to play when the bomb was actually exploded in the um in Hiroshima. I think that would have presented uh, a similar type story to what you would have seen in The Martian. The other thing that I think was I think highly weird and this may have been just a licensing issue is that they virtually didn't mention Richard Feynman at all. So I have a lot of man crushes and love Richard Feynman. Like Richard Feynman is like this badass motherfucker, one of the best theoretical physicists in the world. He rivals even, rivaled even Einstein, made some very significant um, contributions in mathematics, physics, particle physicists, particle physics. He loved art. He loved music. He loved the bongos. And he is not virtually mentioned at all. And he was at Los Alamos. And he, he helped work on uh, some of the main important contributions to the development of bomb. He is shown, but just kind of playing bongos at some of the parties at Los Alamos. So that part of it, I think, was kind of a a mistake as well. i I, I just think that the physics, there was some room there. I, I think I guess the other I don't know how successful it was, but a movie that did get into some of the physics and the science was interstellar. I mean that that movie was supposedly based upon actual, theoretical physics and they actually explained it a little bit. So I don't know whether Christopher Nolan just kind of underestimated or probably more likely, he probably thought, well, Cole, I wanted to tell this administrative story. And so in order to be able to tell this administrative story, I just couldn't cover everything. I mean, you only got three and a half hours. So, I mean, he spent, I would say a good 40%, 50% of the movie on this administrative proceeding. Administrative law, it's kind of dull. There's no jury, there's no judge. It's an administrative like panel. It's just that part of it. I just wasn't that interesting to me. Now, again, it was very well done. It had great acting. You know, Robert Downing Jr., you could kind of watch him. You could watch him. You can just look at Robert Downing and just be like, wow, that dude is so freaking talented. It's just amazing. And of course, Killian Murphy, who I haven't even mentioned. Certain people, I think he is like Daniel Day-Lewis and Last of the Mohicans. You know, certain people become the character. Cillian Murphy became Robert Oppenheimer. Now one of my critiques of Brad Pitt, is like, you know, I always feel like Brad Pitt's is kind of doing Brad Pitt in a in his new movie. To some degree, I feel that way about Tom Cruise. Cillian Murphy though, becomes the character. And I think he's probably going to win the Oscar for this. I mean, I I, I can't imagine you could do a, a more perfect version than what he did. I mean, it's about as good as you're going to get. Robert Downey Jr. probably will win an Oscar an Oscar for his portrayal. Um, I think he was like about congressman or a congr- It was a secretary cabinet appointee in the Eisenhower administration. So that that part of it, I think Robert Dawes or something like that. That was also, um, you know, a big part of the uh, the administrative proceeding, and and then the confirmation hearing. So that part of it was pretty interesting, but I I just think that they um, they just spent too much time on the admin proceeding. And of course, related to the present day, I do think of where we are today in terms of uh, Biden's policy on Ukraine. I don't want to get too deep into this, but. This is precisely one of the, let's put it this way. In terms of the conflagration, which is you know large scale exchange of nuclear weapons, I still think it's relatively low because of the mutually uh, assured destruction. However, because of Biden's reckless and incompetent policies, this risk of nuclear war has unnecessarily been increased without any corresponding security benefit to the United States. I am confident almost beyond any more than I could be that if the war ended tomorrow through a peace treaty, that um, we would not be any less safe. Had we never intervened on behalf of Ukraine, the United States would be definitely safer. The risk of mutual exchange would be definitely lower and I think this is just another reminder of how awesome this weapon was, even its first iteration. And now the weapons of the day are thousands of times more powerful than the bomb that was dropped at Hiroshima and the other one that was dropped in Nagasaki. And then, of course, finally, there's there's the moral issue, the, the, the struggle that all these decision makers had when you have your mortal enemy at the time Japan was, and I do side, it was a horrible thing. Maybe they could have done a demonstration bomb, but you know what do you do when you're trying to stop Hitler? What do you do? These are tough choices. And I do buy and I have no reason to doubt the fact that they were planning on an invasion of between four and 500,000 American men. They were counting on potentially hundreds of thousands of casualties. And for those of you who don't think about that, it's one of those things, what would have you done? The choices were not great. Um, and obviously, at the time, it was the first deployment of that. I don't think they really realized the magnitude of what they were doing. They knew it was going to be po- uh, powerful, but they didn't necessarily have a, a full appreciation of the, the radiation, the, the, the long term health effects associated with that. So, this movie was, by the way, I do want to buy the book. It was based upon a 2005 book by um, Kai Bird and Martin, I believe it's Shaveri. Martin Sherwin, a 2005 book about Robert Oppenheimer. And then, of course, setting aside all the plot lines, the, the visuals are absolutely beautiful. I think Christopher Nolan is probably the greatest filmmaker of our day i think he's way better than steven spielberg just his ability to capture the mood and light and energy and cinema photography and reality it just it was just an absolute tour de force as far as that goes so you know am i kind of critiquing on the edges yeah i am i do think the science could have been heavier and no i don't think it would have diminished the uh watchability of the movie and I, I i would have cut out a lot of the administrative hearing i know they felt that they needed to kind of up their game in terms of the um you know how interesting they thought that would be for all those reasons i i just think that they could have improved that uh, but it's still probably it is a fantastic movie and i think if nothing else just the scene with the atomic bomb Holy shit that was just like Oh my god like it's just white metal and incredibly good so you should go see it just to see that sequence of events because you do feel like you're actually there and that was and you, that's why you got to see it in the theaters this movie was really good i don't go to movies all the time but i do try to make you know two or three of the big ones throughout the year and i think we pretty much all really loved it So that's it for this episode of The Rocket Cast. I hope you all go out and see it in the theaters. It's definitely worth seeing. Um, Hope you watch and read the work of Andy Weir and The Martian so you can see how interesting scientific, not science, science fiction, real science fiction, where they have real science for fiction. This would have been real nonfiction, real science, and more details related to that. So read Martian, Andy Weir, Artemis, Andy Weir, um, who knows? Maybe maybe Christopher will listen to me and do a sequel. Where they talk more about the physics and putting together the actual team, and put a little bit more related to Richard Feynman. I think that would have been even better. It also inspired me to read more of the Bhagavad Bhagavad Gita, um, the the sacred Hindu texts., uh, So I definitely want to read that. I know Stephen Pressfield really likes that. A to that caused a minor controversy. Um, in India, but you know, my belief is that no one culture owns a religion. Uh, I think they belong to humanity, and I, I just, I'm just not going to get into that particular debate uh, related to whether you can ever incorporate one particular religion into a um, movie text. Especially, where I think, uh, because the book had such an impact on Robert Oppenheimer, it would not have been fair to Oppenheimer to leave that out to kind of demonstrate the amount of struggle that he had throughout the movie. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Rocking Cast as much as I did putting it on. We're going to try to do more frequent Rocking Casts in the in the month or essentially soon to be last month of summer. Um, I'm going to do a podcast and listen to this really good one on uh, by Dr. Mark Hyman about the potentially the biology of positive thinking. What happens when your thoughts become physically and chemically manifested in your body? Um, that it's not just the placebo the placebo effect; it's actually something real and tangible. The guest himself wasn't that good, but I, I just think it it really illustrates um, how important it is to have a positive mindset. And we'll offer some techniques that you can use to do that. Um, we'll talk about some of the books I'm doing, some of the health stuff. I think I can get an episode of intermittent fasting. Hope you had a good time in this particular episode of the Rocky Cast. I think I'm gonna do one hunter by India. I'm gonna I'm gonna join the Kid Company of Voices, talk to you a little bit about that. I do I do, do quite a bit of federal criminal defense during my day job. So I do have some credibility in terms of assessing what I think would have happened for a quote unquote normal defendant. And so that kind of makes it even that much more interesting. So that's it for the Rocky Cast. Keep enjoying your summer. It's hot as hell where I'm doing the Rocky Cast right now. So I'm kind of sweating bullets, but I'm sweating bullets so I can entertain you. Please continue to give me positive reviews on Apple, Spotify, all places where podcasts occur, recommend me to your friends, your enemies, your dog, your mom, your dad, your spouse. We need to grow this freaking audience because this is what I love doing. And I hope you love listening to me as much as I love putting it on. So, friends, infinite gratitude for you to tune in. Always appreciative of each and every one of you. Until next time, you and I meet again on the Rockney Cast.